Hello everyone, this is Luke from Video Store Nightmares. The episode you're about to listen to, I feel like it was cursed. This was supposed to be our Halloween episode, and first my computer updated and I lost all my notes, and then my computer turned off partway through the recording and we lost part of our recording, and then my microphone malfunctioned halfway through, and the audio quality was notably degraded. So, if the sound quality is a little poor here, uh, we apologize. We will do better in the future. The beginning of our conversation was unfortunately lost, but where we pick up is with Leland and I discussing the differences between the VHS and DVD releases of Beyond Dream's Door from 1989. It's too bad that this episode ended up problem-plagued because this is a fantastic movie that not enough people have seen. So I apologize for the uh, low audio quality and the truncated conversation, uh, but please do not let those problems discourage you from seeing the film. And with all that said, here we go with the newest episode of Video Store Nightmares on Beyond Dream's Door. the director so i guess i trust his judgment over mine i just did a very very small amount of preliminary research to find the difference and uh there is a long dream sequence that's cut out from the end you know the uh, at the hotel yeah that's cut out from the dvd version and apparently a couple of other scenes were added probably for continuity reasons but i don't know the specifics of them so the the dream sequence that leland's talking about was originally a short film done by the writer director whose name is jay woeful and this was a student film that was done I, I, it was the inaugural student film from Ohio State University's uh, then-new, I think, cinema school. And it, it definitely feels like it when you're watching. Like, you can tell that this is a first-time writer-director, that this is done on, like, a paltry budget, um, that it's amateur in a lot of ways. But to me, that actually adds to the interest. Like... If this had been done by a studio, it would not be the film we got. I think it would be a worse film. I don't know if it'd be a worse film. It, the acting would be better. <laughs> I We'll get to this, but I, I think for like an amateur student production, 
the acting's pretty good here. Oh, I, I think this movie is great if you are a fan of older horror films. And if you're listening to this, you probably are. Uh, this is definitely worth your time to find a copy of Keep It On Your Shelf. Yeah, th- so this was Jay Wofel's first full-length movie. He had done some shorts before. Uh, in addition to writing, directing, he also did the score, which, um, and that's actually, he, he went on to have a career. Uh, he's done something like 20 movies, but he's scored even more. And uh, I think that that is the best thing about this movie, is the musical score. For a first-time job, I think this is incredible. Yeah, I agree. The musical score is really good for, um, you know, I I don't want to use this word, but amateur work. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into the movie, I want to ask you about the score. So I'm probably not going to articulate this very well, but this is the kind of score that it's very synced up with the movie, but it's also very present, like it's not possible to ignore the score in this movie or for the score to like fade into the background. If your definition of a good score is that you don't notice it, that is not this movie. There, there's almost always music and, and it's very present. So I don't know. Do you like when movies do that? There are only a handful of scenes in this film that don't have music in the background. Uh, it's very ubiquitous. Uh, I didn't mind it in this film. Usually, I like it when movies do this, um, but not always. There, there are some cases where it it overwhelms the movie. Well, where... I, I prefer too much over too little. I'm not sure I'm willing to uh, to go that far, but I think it depends on the movie, and I think this is one where it works. But there are movies where it does not work. Like, you can have a a subpar script, but still hype it up with some sick beats. I'm trying to think of another movie that reminds me of this in terms of the score. Where, like, it's omnipresent and almost its own character in a way. I think a lot of major blockbusters have constant music. Like yeah, Marvel films. That's not really what I'm thinking of, though. You know, in, to some degree, Phantasm is like this, where you've got an ever-present score, but it's it's not it's not to the degree this is. I I know there are other movies that are like this, and and they're just not coming to mind. Anyway, let's talk briefly about the actors, um, and then we'll play the trailer. Our lead is played by Nick Baldessere, and he went on to have a fairly decent career. He's been in 13 movies. Uh, the only one I've seen is the 1996 film They Bite, which is like a really goofy softcore porn slash horror hybrid. So what did you think of his performance relative to the, uh, the rest of the cast? I would describe almost all of the performances as student acting. All right, that's fair. Which um, makes sense. Um, okay, so we've we've watched a lot of uh, 
amateur films like i don't really like using that word but i can't i can't think of a better one right now um you know premiere films from unexperienced studios right we had video dead phantasm uh i feels like there was another one um uh mountaintop motel is pretty damn amateur (laughs) uh teenage tupelo was not that guy's first film right Oh, I think it was. Was. The Child is very amateur. Anyway, I think this is pro- this is the best one of all of them we have seen so far. I don't know if I'd say this is better than The Video Dead to me. Oh, I, I like I like this more than Video Dead. I think they're pretty even for me. Mm. Um but Okay, let's not get into reviews um yet. Uh what about the other actors? So we've got in okay. addition my my favorite off, off the bat, I don't know their names, but the guy who plays the professor was my favorite in the whole film, and I wish he was in more of it. So his name is Norm Singer, and this is the only film that he was ever in. I assumed he was a uh, staff at the college. Yeah, me too. Um, that is my assumption. He's fine. I, I don't think he stands out. I think the best actor among them is Susan Penske, who plays Julie. And I think the worst actor is <laughs> Rick Kessler, who plays Eric. That, that's the... That's, that's the other white guy, right? Not the main guy, but the other one. Yeah, the other one who, like, makes it to the end of the film. Uh, yeah. No, I was not a fan of him either. No, he's pretty bad. He's not terrible. He d- he's not, like, distracting to me. He's, um, he's like one of those characters that's really bad at first, and then you're not sure if he's still bad or if you've just gotten used to him by the end of the film. He went on to have a fairly decent career. Let's see. Well, he has five credits on IMDb. I mean, hey, and- I have zero, so that's a great career for me. The um, I think the the strangest and perhaps most disturbing actor in the film is Lucas Simpson, who plays Ricky, the fictional little brother. Something about this kid's stare is really creepy to me. I I didn't really get those vibes. No, no. Something about him's just ominous, like. He's very well cast. Um, I don't know that he's a good actor, but for the small role he has in this movie, he did it for me. Um, all right. So, so you're not going to be able to relate to this, but going back to the music, I just, I just remembered this. It, it, this soundtrack sounds like the music from Duke Nukem 3D. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. No, no. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, you'll probably hear a taste of the music in the trailer. Um, You want to go ahead and play the trailer? Yeah, let's get that going. Professor Knox. Did you read this? What is it? Just a dream, I guess. I'll give it a look. Thanks. I've got to go.
Benjamin Dobbs has opened a door into his mind. Has anything even remotely like your dream ever happened to you in real life? No, absolutely nothing. The dream, is it always the same? They're like a chain hooking on to each other. I don't want to know where it's going to end. And unleashed a horror. For all those who know what he dreams. things to do before we go to sleep. So that was the trailer for the remaster on DVD. And there are definitely scenes in that trailer that are not on the VHS version. Interesting. Well, we're not going to do like uh, a scene by scene walkthrough on this one, but I do want to talk about the opening scene because I really like it. There, we start with there's a phone in the foreground and there's nothing behind it, just blackness. And the phone is ringing and we hear a voice say, It's for you, Benjamin. But when he runs to pick up the phone, there's no one there. And he looks down, and there's a woman in lingerie, like, taking off her top. And she says, you don't get it. It's for you, Ben. Only for you. And then we see this door opening, and all these hands reach up out of the darkness. And then there's, like, a monster hand that pulls Ben in. So what did you think of this opening scene, like... How did it how did it hit you? So the first thing I want to mention is that uh, going into this film, this is my first time watching it. I did not know this was going to be a amateur production right off the bat. It becomes very apparent as you're watching the film that this was definitely uh, filmed at a, at a college. It just has that like, uh, you know, that infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the library, etc. Um but this scene had um, a lot of really simple visual effects that were pretty powerful. Like the hands reaching up from the basement. It's just, you know, a couple of people holding their hands up in front of a, a blue light. But the way it's it's framed, it's just pretty, it's pretty ominous. 
right out the musical score right like yeah. the score adds so much and the score it really adds a lot too um again like imagine if this was a case of too little music instead of too much and this was like kind of like a silent scene it just wouldn't have the same effect so the the basic story of this film is that Ben is a college student and when he was a child his parents passed away and after his parents died for whatever reason he he stops remembering his dreams and dreams don't like to be forgotten and so his dreams start to come after him and they're trying to not only kill him but wipe out any evidence that this happened but the problem for his dreams is he keeps telling people what's going on or he keeps writing his dreams out and eventually he discovers this evidence that some other guy like 20 years ago was having the same dreams and so gradually most of the movie takes place in dreams or in some semblance between dreams and reality where these dreams are trying to get him is that a fair synopsis yeah it, you know these dreams are personified although that's never specifically stated and the movie starts off in something you can imagine is the real world but much like um you know the film in the mouth of madness where people who read sam neill's book ended up going crazy or turning into a monster going into like a dark world or whatever it's kind of yeah. like that except uh it's just just one boring college student sharing his dreams and dragging people yeah. in with him it reminds me of that a little bit it also reminds me a little bit of jacob's ladder in terms of not knowing at first which characters are real and which ones are dreams yeah but so let's go through the various dream characters then one is this little brother who doesn't actually exist, but wants to play hide-and-seek with Ben. And this is the one who I described as being, like, really creepy. But that's basically his whole role, is he wants to play hide-and-seek, and he gets to ominously say, I'll find you. <laughs> Have you, uh... So, you know, dreams, right? We're, we're going to be talking about our own dreams here in a, in a movie okay. about dreams. So... You, you probably have this. A lot of people probably have this, where you're dreaming... And things are obviously strange, like they are, you know, close to real life, but there are little things that are out of the ordinary, things that aren't the way they should be. But you don't realize it until you wake up and you think like, wow, you know, maybe that should have hinted that this was a dream, but it didn't occur to me at the time when I was dreaming it. Like, for example, right. there'll be like a light switch that's too big or a hallway that doesn't exist, or a door that doesn't go anywhere. And you, and when you're dreaming it in the moment, you don't, you know, you're you're unaware of it. But then when you wake up, you're like, oh, you, you fucking idiot. Like, that should have tinted you that this was a nightmare and starting. That little right. kid is like, um, you know, imagine dreaming you have a sibling that doesn't exist and accepting it as they exist. Yeah, I have dreams like that where, like, there are family members or people who are in my dream who have never existed. And then also, like, I had a brother who passed away, and he's in my dreams all the time, as if he was just never passed away and was 
That was an ordinary thing for him to be around as an adult. Like, it's very strange. Did Do you have, like, when you dream, do you have a lot of lucid dreams where you're in command of what's happening? No, I wish I did. Normally, the, the moment I realize I'm dreaming, I uh, just get forcibly woken up. Like, it's not even a conscious decision. I, I think it's actually a, a defense mechanism from when I was a child. I'd have constant nightmares, constantly, and I wouldn't be able to wake up from them um, right away. But I think at some point, uh, my brain just clicked, and, it's, and as soon as I, I realize what's going on, my body just wakes up. When I was a kid, I and this was all the way up until like my late teen years, I had very intense dreams, and they were almost all lucid dreams. And I would stay in the dream as long as I could bear it. But when things got too frightening, like I was about to be killed, I would just blink in the dream, and that would wake me up. But I was in full control. I really don't lucid dream much anymore, though. Um, it, I still have very long, complex dreams that like they're they're the length of like a movie or a, or a novel plot um and they're very intense and they affect me a lot emotionally but i don't usually have control like i'll have dreams that i don't want to wake up from but then as soon as i realize it's a dream just come right out of it do do you have dreams about like in which you are not a character yeah i do but i wouldn't say it's common um i do have a lot of third person dreams which is strange i would say the majority of my dreams at well maybe like 50 or 60 percent i am not in them it could be a first person dream in which i'm someone else or it could be a third person dream about just a cast of characters none of whom is me it's very odd I wish I could come up with plots as interesting as my dream plots in, in my waking hours. Do you have a dream journal? Do you write these down? No, but I remember most of them. Yeah, I don't know. Jot them down. Sometimes I jot down stuff. Yeah, I, I, I almost never forget my dreams. If I do, I forget them really quickly, like within 30 minutes of waking up. But if I can remember it past that, I usually remember it. Like, I remember dreams from when I was like three. Before I, was ha before I remember normal events in my life, I remember the dreams I was having. I sort of have uh, the cave of the sharks approach to dreams where, um, you know, if I forget them, there's probably a good reason why I don't remember <laughs> and I should keep it that way. <laughs> okay. But, um, you know, if I, if I do dream something that I want to remember, I just immediately jot it down. I, I've done it occasionally. I have a few dreams written down here and there. But this character, Ben, in the movie, he writes down all his dreams and, like, gives them to people to read just to see what they think. It's very odd. But in addition to the little brother... We have the woman who I mentioned earlier in lingerie who's always, like, taking her top off. What do you think of this one? She's all right. Um, it, I, I guess she was supposed to be, like, a representative of, like, uh, erotic dreaming. I, I was trying to think of, like, do these characters represent certain types of dreams? 
And I don't know if that's really the case. But that was how I tried to approach this film. Yeah, I don't... I mean, we find out that the other guy, the the guy 20 years ago, dreamt of the same things. So these are not like characters that Ben created himself. But, yeah, we could see them as symbols, I suppose. I like the woman. I think she's very... There's something very threatening about her. Even though she's like disrobing and and speaking in a sexy voice and all of that, you can tell that she wants to hurt Ben. I'm not sure how to explain it. Oh, I think that's just because all the dream entities want to hurt Ben. How dare you forget us? Yeah, so in addition to the woman, we have the janitor with no hands. And sometimes he has like... Um, prosthetic claws, sort of, but sometimes it's just it, his what's left of his arms. And he, he tries to put out his arms and say, like, shake, and moves them up and down as if he's going to shake hands. Did you find this guy creepy or disturbing? No, but I can see why they would put him in a film like this. Yeah. I'd, I'd imagine... Uh, it it seemed like he was actually disabled, right? Yeah, I don't know, but it I mean it looks realistic. Let's see, let's see if I can find him. His name is John Dunlevy. He was in four movies. And IMDb doesn't say anything else about him. So I don't know. Maybe maybe someone out there can do some research and find out if John Dunlevy is an amputee. The the final dream character and the one that really reveals this movie's budget is the monster. <laughs> it's not that bad. I've seen there, worse. There are scenes where it looks incredibly good. Where like the special effects are awesome and it's clear they're do they're shooting artistically in shadows or only certain parts of the body in order to make it more intimidating. But when you see it from any distance, it looks really dumb. <laughs> it it it's probably the biggest drawback of this movie to me. Uh, maybe. I mean, you you can explain away the fakiness with dream logic if you really want to. That's the beauty of scripts involving dreams. You can just write everything off as a as a, as a dream magic. I, I so it it looks kind of like a combination of a dragon and like a a horse. Yeah, like a, a skinless horse with a dog mouth. Yeah. Yeah, and it's got it's got really big claws with floppy fingers. <laughs> yeah, maybe they could have added some uh, rigidity in some of the puppetry, both for the main monster and the uh, the horror in the the side story dream near the end of the film. Yeah. So okay, so those are those are our various dream characters. Um, let's talk about the real characters. So, y- you wanna um, 
you want to explain how we meet the professor that you said was your favorite character? Right. So we are introduced to two characters who are TAs for the psychology department at the college. One of them has been there for a bit. The other one just transferred so he can be closer to the other. And what is probably classic early 90s toxic dating. Yeah, so this is uh, Eric and Julie are our two TAs. So Eric's pretty lame, but he's going to be with us for most of the film, so just buckle up. He, <laughs> We're introduced by him tossing a love letter in the form of a paper airplane at Julie and then complaining when she completely ignores it. And then I think he makes a a, a joke about if I put like money in there, would would that make it better? <laughs> Do you remember yeah, exactly? I, I don't remember that, but uh it wouldn't it wouldn't be a surprise given what we know about Eric's character. God, like he, he would need he would need to drop some stacks. To, to get Julie's attention. There's a point later in the film where he kisses Julie and I was like, oh God, this 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 is her nightmare. This this is <laughs> <laughs> This is the scariest part of the film. It's a little bit unclear. It it almost seems like maybe they dated before or he asked her out before and she said no. Yeah, like, but this during is during their this During is one of those first... this is one of those moments where you know those stories where it's like uh you know I told your dad no like seven times and I said yes the eighth it's like one of those stories yeah right because the first time they meet she says something like you don't ever give up do you and that's right after he tries to kiss her <laughs> unprovoked <laughs> Anyway, so Eric is uh, so, left yes. alone in the office. Eric is left alone in the office, and a man comes in, disheveled, uh, obviously stressed out, and he wants to find out about his test results from the last exam, because if he fails the test, his grades will be too low to keep up his loans, and he'll have to drop out. Eric. That's his name, right, Eric? Yeah. Okay. Eric finds the test and there's a very or actually no I think the the, the the guy finds the test in the stack because Eric is helpless Eric is yeah. useless he can't do anything no he's very uh, taken aback yes dumbfounded. and there's a fat F on the top of that paper he, it's a 19% awful that was really funny <laughs> obviously distraught the guy drops the paper picks up a revolver from his coat and aims it into his eye socket. And what does Eric do? He picks up the phone. And <laughs> and that's it. The, the man lets him off the hook, revealing that he is actually the professor from who he is supposed to be working for. How you don't recognize him, what, I mean, I don't know. But I can actually see something like this going down in a psychology department, especially in like the 90s, 2000s. Maybe not now because the student would like sue for trauma or something. But back then, totally, I could see this happening. Well, and now you could look up your professor online and like see what they look like. But back then, 
he wouldn't have known what the professor looked like. Yeah, what's the internet? Yeah. Um, I, I like how Eric at one point is like, yo, you, you can make it up. You know, it's still early in the semester. and But it's like, bro, this is state college. You, your entire grade is two exams. <laughs> You're done. Just leave yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, so oh, d- were you on to this guy immediately or did you actually believe he was a student worried about failing? So my impression was that everything in this movie was going to be a dream. So I wasn't taking everything. I was taking everything with a grain of salt, but I had no reason to believe that this was the professor. I just thought that this was just all going to go downhill into bad dreams. And it was going to be a series of nightmare, wake up, nightmare, wake up for the entire film. And it, it almost is, especially as the film goes on. Like at some point, Ben describes the dreams as being like a chain where each dream links together um, and and one will end and then the next one picks up with it. And that's kind of the structure of the film. But there are some scenes here in the beginning, especially the ones in which Ben is not present, that I think we're supposed to take as entirely real. Yeah, I mean, especially these early scenes. Like, uh, you know, this, this scene we just described is obviously in the real world. It's followed up by a classroom lecture that is obviously in the real world. But slowly, our, our main character drags each of these characters into his nightmare realm one at a time. Um, it starts with the main character. What is his name? So I stop calling him main character. Ben. It starts with Ben handing off a what's probably a really cringy dream essay to his professor the professor reads it and gets dragged into the nightmare the 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 professor after he reads it calls ben at in like the middle of the night <laughs> 10 10 30 or something and is like i just read your dream can you come over to my house right now and talk about it <laughs> like yeah, that's not happening. I, I, I don't know. What would you, like if you were the professor in that situation and you read something that was really disturbing? W- would you call up the student to come to your house in the middle of the night? I don't think it was necessarily the content of the paper. It was that after he read it, the little creepy kid showed up in his house. Right. He actually visualizes the little brother that he's been reading about. And, and this is one of those films where, um, uh, unlike, I think this, unlike the video dead where characters were skeptical about what was going on because they hadn't seen the evidence for themselves in this film, the professor is just like all in like, all right, there's no other explanation. This man's dreams have become incarnate and are walking around in the waking world. Well, he's also the one that remembers that 20 years ago, there was this case study named White, who he was giving a lecture about, you know, coincidentally, in the in the first classroom scene. And this guy was having the same dreams as Ben. And eventually, he just fell into a catatonic state and like never moved again, because he was living in his dream world permanently. And so the professor has some precedent for believing ben i guess and then we have julie who is dragged into the into into this like false reality when ben shows up for a sleep test like a sleep therapy test 
And I suppose her observing him sleep and dream brought her into that world. Well, also, she asks him what the first dream that he remembers is. And he says it's that when he was a young child, he was holding on to a red balloon and he let go and it floated into the sky. And all he wanted was to grab it again. And then from there on, Julie starts seeing this red balloon like floating around her house and things. And how did Eric get dragged in just by the nature of being second TA exposed to the material secondhand? Or was it when he was taken to the the trap door and found the teeth of the monster? Yeah, no, before the trap door, uh, Ben gives him also gives him a typed out dream to read. Oh, well, that was it then. Yeah. So basically, whenever Ben shares his dreams with somebody, they become, from the perspective of the dream people, they become like a liability because now they know what's going on. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a metaphor for like a, a disease or an STD or something. Yeah, there. Actually, I was going to get to this later, but in some ways, this movie reminds me of It Follows. Yeah, all right. Similar tone in things, but the concept is kind of similar where there this isn't like a, a this is a formless monster. It it takes the in it, it it takes the manifestation of all these different people, but it's basically killing people off once they find out about it. What did you think of this as a as a plot, or or I mean, to the extent that it is a plot for a movie that's all about dream sequences? I think this is like uh, about as good as a plot as you can get. What I imagine, and I might be totally off, but I imagine these film students sitting around in class, like a like a um, practicum style class, where they're gonna make a student film and the professor is like well like what do you think we can do and they basically decide to try to make a cheap version of nightmare on elm street and this is what they come up with i mean the only real similarities between this and and nightmare on elm street are dreams and nightmares i mean the motivations for the the antagonists are not the same at all no, but the idea that you can, if you're killed in your dream, you're kind of killed in real life, and there is like this boogeyman after you, um, I, I th- it is not, I don't think it's like a rip-off film. It, I, it, I don't I, think I, it's, a, it's a killed in dream scenario. I think they're straight up pulled into it. Like, I'm just assuming they're gone from the real world. That's kind of how they explain it in the movie, but they do get killed. Right. I, I mean, they all evidence of them disappears from the real world. Like there's a point where the monster gets Professor Knox and his phone number is disconnected. His house disappears like all evidence of him disappears. Uh, but we also see him killed. But I don't think those things happened in the real world. I think that was just like the weird dream manifestation that they were stuck in. Because at that point, all of them were already there. 
I mean, okay, you can overanalyze this film and like poke holes in it if you want to, but again, it's dream logic, so it doesn't really. There's no point. Yeah, there's no point. Um, because okay, think about it like this, right? You're you're a a pantheon of nightmare monsters. You need to eliminate one person. Why are you letting them walk around and drag other people into the conspiracy? Like they should have just isolated him and killed him off in like the first ten minutes of the film, but they didn't. Because dream logic. We wouldn't have had a film. We wouldn't have had a plot. Well, at one point, Eric almost tries to do that. He basically believes that if he can just get Ben to stay away from him, he'll be safe. But it's too late for that. I I was going to say, when the scene where Professor Knox gets killed by the monster, like the monster looks kind of dumb... But the makeup on him, where he's like all shredded and crawling across the floor, I thought the makeup was really effective. Yeah, that's the best practical effects in the entire film. Uh, he's missing fingers. His face is almost indistinguishable because he's mauled. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't even know if it's the actor under all those prosthetics, but it, like, it doesn't matter. It's it's really well done. Yeah. Um, I was also going to ask what... Like, what do you think of the dream sequences in this movie compared to other horror movies with dream sequences? Like, not just Nightmare on Elm Street, but maybe something a little less, um, like, high budget, if you will. I think. How the, do you think this movie compares? Yeah, so the, the theming and the pacing it is excellent, I think. Uh, the content of the dreams themselves is fine. One thing I think this film was missing was uh, more like obtuse directing during these dream sequences. Like, so take Deviation for example. That's not a that's not a film about uh, nightmares or dreams or anything of, of that nature. But the directing really puts you into that mindset, like the angles for the for the camera the way the scenes are laid out the cinematography i feel like if this film had a little bit of that it would have really hit some some really high notes yeah i can see that i i like the the i like the visuals of this movie and the the music especially and sort of the ambiance but you're right at no point do i feel like i'm actually in a dream the way I do in Deviation, or even like a David Lynch movie, I often feel like I'm in a dream. I, I don't really feel that here. But but this is nitpicking, right? Like this was their first film for for a first film. This is like fucking excellent. Like if if I made a film for the first time and it came out like half this well, I'd be really satisfied. Yeah, and and again, so I'm really. I mean, maybe it is because of the ambiguous story, but. I'm just shocked that this movie never found an audience. That, I mean, yeah, it's gotten a DVD release, but that's it to my knowledge. Like, I never hear it talked about or, or know anyone who's seen it. We have seen some some cult classics on this podcast that are nowhere near as good as this. And they have a huge following. I, I'm really surprised this doesn't have more of more of a cult status to it maybe it's a regional thing like maybe in ohio that's that's where this was filmed right 
maybe yeah, it's Ohio a, State. Yeah, like maybe in Ohio or like the Northeast amongst the like obscure cinemaphiles, they're more familiar with this film because of you know being local to the area. So there's a point in the dream where Ben is is chasing what looks like himself through a sewer. But we also see uh, the guy who uh, uh, supposedly originally had these dreams. Uh, his last name is White. And White reads to him a poem, which is where the title comes from. So I'm just going to say this poem, and I, I want to know what you think about it. It's, Beyond Dream's door is where horror lies, where love may sleep with sorrowed eyes, where demons wait to greet the ones who dare not reach its darkened shores. Beyond Dream's door tomorrow dies, for demons keep not human ties. To dreamers dead and dreamers dying, Souls on fire with fear of flying, falling fast beyond the door where trouble grows, and feet touch earth instead of rose. To this end, some may go, a one-way trip into the coal, red hot with ash from wasted dreams, beyond the bonds that might redeem. What do you think of this poem? I'm not really a poet. I'm not really into poetry, but I love the title of this film. Yeah, I I have dabbled in poetry in the past. I also like the title. And there's a few lines to this poem that I think are really good. But for the most part, I could have done without it. I thought it was kind of bad. Yeah, they, they could have cut about half of it. Yeah, and there's even more of it that's read at the end um, that I did not read. And at one point, I thought this was really strange. He goes to, Ben goes to Knox's house. And this is after Knox has disappeared and his house is gone. And all that's there is some stones on the ground that spell demon weight, which which is a line from the poem. And stuck underneath one of the stones is a page from the book about white. And, and that's what the dreams are after, because that is the last evidence that white existed. Uh, I am I am kind of a sucker for these um, these like non material esque titles, like Beyond Dreams Door, Death Laid an Egg, a lot of James Bond movie titles. I just really like that kind of titling, like kind of like personification, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. Or like tomorrow never dies, right? Like I don't know. I really like titles like that. Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, it's just much better than like the house. Or like, imagine if this film was <laughs> called The Nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I like Beyond Dream Store as a title, but the poem think I can do without bef- uh, do without most of it. So at uh, eventually, Julie gets killed or or taken by the dreams but there's this really great scene where both eric and ben are worried about her and they're gonna go to her house to see if she's okay and when ben is driving through the night julie's like ghost or image keeps appearing on corners to point him in the right direction 
I don't think I've ever seen this done in a movie before, and I thought it was really cool. No, I can't recall anything like that either. But, you know, it's like the little scenes like this that really make the movie. Um, that and uh, the, the other scene that really sticks out to me is uh, during the, the extra dream sequence. Technically, it's not a part of this film, but whatever. Um, after the... After, after Eric finds the thing in the basement and it gets him, the camera pulls back all the way through the, through the inn. I thought that was a really cool shot. Yeah, very Evil Dead, right? It's that where the camera goes backwards through the whole house and the doors slam behind it thing that they do at the end of Evil Dead. Mm. It's also in the credits for Tales of the Crypt, but that was, uh, I think, a couple years later. Yeah, I mean, this actually, this movie's probably around the same time that Tales from the Crypt started, hmm. 1989. Yeah, I, I really like that that, uh, that 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 kind of scene. I do too. So the scene that happens in, there's a probably like three minute long dream sequence where Eric, who is not really our main character, but he is dressed up like... I guess a wealthy man from the twenties or something. Yeah. And he's in this mansion and he keeps hearing things and like going from room to room and there's a monster trying to get him. It, it does feel a little out of place, but if you hadn't told me that it was originally a separate film, I definitely wouldn't have known. I don't think it needs to be cut out of the movie. Well, the director thought so. <laughs> In the yeah. DVD version. It's on there as an extra, though. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. But it, we, it, we, he wasn't so much being stalked by a monster. is that he was uh, sort of lured into the basement. Right, yeah. And and in that scene, it's almost like... It's almost like the monster in the rest of the movie has died and, like, dried up. And, and had a sheet thrown on it. Oh, they definitely went to like a taxidermy store and got like the grossest, like uh, half rotted cow skull they could, like dried out, mummified. Yeah, it looks good. It, this looks good. It kind of like it reminds me of the the baby in a racer head. Where like I don't know quite how they made it. I don't know exactly what it was made out of, but it looks like it was alive at some point. It was definitely alive at some point. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's that mysterious compared to. Uh, compared to a racer head but no no not it looks like like a cow skull or a horse skull in like sheets and then like the arms are really stiff moving around but I, I still really appreciate it i appreciate it yeah so there's one scene that i want to talk about that i really like ben is hiding the pages of the book the trap doors and the janitor with no hand approaches him and the janitor says it's stupid really you remember us and you're scared and then he says I really like this he says I don't know why we waste our time on you you're nothing but a dreamless passion little shit <laughs> and like it's so out of character for everything on this movie that I've laughed so, yeah, what kind of dream do you think this guy personifies? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, like, 
like the base vulgar dream. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Like the side of you that you repress in polite conversation. <laughs> we we've been seeing a, you know, monster nightmare demon tear people apart. We've been seeing a lot of psychological terror going on. And then this guy just picks up a mirror and slams it into the character's face. Yeah. It, you know, he at this point of the film here on out he actually has a scar on his forehead or like a scratch where from i'm assuming the glass cutting his head and something i noticed on a rewatch is that the very first scene of the film where ben answers the phone he has that same mark on his forehead in that scene i did not notice that at all yeah so I don't know if that was just the scene they filmed for later and then just fit into the beginning because they thought it was a good opener. But maybe it was meant for the end. Not sure, but thought that was interesting. Yeah, maybe. I, I really like it at the beginning, though. That's the scene that I remember the most from the whole movie. Oh, yeah. The movie starts off very strong. And, and not to say it finishes weak, but the strong the, the beginning is definitely more memorable. Well, let's save the very end as a surprise because I want people to go search out this movie, watch it, see what you think. Maybe we are the minority and you will hate it, but I really do think this is an underappreciated, unseen film that deserves more attention. So, you know, I bet the DVD is cheap. The VHS is not crazy expensive. Grab a copy of this. Even just looking around on YouTube, you know, normally you see a lot of things where it's like two dudes talking about films, like reviews and such. There's like none of this film. Not on, not that I could find. No. And and with some movies we've covered, like Cave of the Sharks, are kind of warranted. That's an, that movie has never had an official release in the United States. Like, uh, we had to watch a bootleg. But this movie has had real releases. You can find it. It used to be on Amazon Prime. I guess it's not anymore, but it may be again one day. So check this out. Well, it's definitely not available in America, but the pages exist, which usually means if you have a VPN or if you're accessing the content from outside the US, you might be able to to, to watch it that way. But I didn't test it. All right, well, let's give our final thoughts and a rating out of four. You want to start? Sure. Um, I don't think I'm really going to have much to say that we already that we didn't already cover. Uh, this, this is another amateur film that we covered, but I think this is the best of all of them so far, um, you know, including was it, the video dead was, of course, the big one that, that we looked at. Um, Trying to think of what other like small we productions watched, we watched the burning. Yeah, the burning moon. That was the other one I was trying to think of. But that was that his first film. I think that was like his third, right? I'm not sure, but I consider that a little bit of a different like beast. It, it's it's shot on video. This is film. I mean, yeah, so was video dead. But I don't know if being shot on video is necessarily like the mark of. Like the, the amateur mark that I'm trying to like compare these films to, but yeah, 
Um, I mean, for for an amateur film, and I feel bad for using that word, but like this was their first attempt. Um, again, it was a a film program at Ohio State University. You know, I, I hate using the word amateur, but you know, this is the best amateur film that we have reviewed on the podcast so far, in my opinion. Um, I think this is better than the video dead. Uh, I have a feeling Luke disagrees, but that's how it be. The tone of this film is is why it succeeds, right? This is a film about dreams, nightmares. It follows dream logic. You really... Although the directing could have been a little bit more eccentric during the dream sequences, I still feel like this is a good representation of how dreams can be. Obviously, not everyone is the same, but you have strange locations, strange incidents, things that don't make sense, yet somehow it all joins together to form... I wouldn't really call it um, a mythology, but like a consistency that is accessible through the film. Like, I don't feel like anything was really left too open-ended. Yet it doesn't, it also doesn't rely on like doing, the plot doesn't rely on doing black backflips to, to make sense for like the entire runtime. And this really isn't a long movie either. I think it's just a little over an hour, um, which if I remember right, is the reason why there is a random short film inserted as a dream sequence near the end because they wanted to pad the runtime a little bit. It doesn't take anything away. It's just another like dream-like aspect of the film. It works. It doesn't feel forced, although it does feel uh, a little out of place. You can you can ding the acting on this a little bit, but it's nothing too far from other films of like the late 80s, early 90s. You can just tell that this is like a, you know, it's it's a school project. When you're what I didn't know this was going to be amateur going into it, but you can figure it out pretty quick, especially with where the where the movie's filmed. You know, they they probably had to make a plot that take that that they takes advantage of the campus because that was where they had the availability to film. This this feel like a movie where they took the resources available to them and managed to cobble it up into a way that it was its own its own beast, its own entity that makes sense. Like they took everything that was available to them and they made a nice cohesive project out of it. That's again, I think this movie's fun. I'm surprised it doesn't have more of a cult following. This is probably going to be one of those episodes where we have like five listens because who the fuck has heard of this, I guess. And uh, yeah, you should really take the time to go out and watch it. If you are into these older horror films, which I'm assuming you are because you're here. I'm going to give this one like a, Man, it's like two and a half stars. I think it's pretty good. Maybe three stars. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you compared it to the video dead. I think that they're about even in quality. This might be a little more artistically ambitious, but I feel like watching the video dead more often. There, there are definitely times where I feel in the mood for this movie, and it's something I throw on like once or twice a year. 
usually around this time of year. So it, it definitely is something I think that has a rewatch value. Um, I really love the, the feeling of this movie, especially the musical score, I think is extremely well done. A lot of the imagery I won't forget. That opening dream sequence of the phone in the foreground and the naked woman lying on the ground is like burned into my brain and has been since I first saw this movie like 15, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, getting it from the video store. I found it something that I discovered. You know, it it was released by Vid America, which can't think if I have any other tapes in my collection from them, but it was the official release. It's not like it's not like somebody put out you know a hundred copies of this. It was it was really released. So and then I'm I'm surprised this remains so obscure. If I, the acting is amateurish in this movie, but I don't think it's bad. Um, and I think the characters are pretty likable. Even Eric, who is kind of like a douchebag character, I still didn't want him to die. Like, okay with him as a protagonist. Um, some characters, by virtue of the fact that they were real people, feel like real people, like the professor. If I have a complaint about... Uh, two minor complaints about this movie. One is... This is nitpicky, but it does bother with me with movies. Ben, main character, our protagonist, like, it's not really a real person, right? He has no friends, no family. He doesn't have any interests or hobbies. He doesn't have a job. We don't see him in any classes other than this one about dreams, which is very convenient to the plot, right? So, He's not a real fleshed out person. He he's vacuous. You know, he, he could be any anybody in the main role of this film. So that's a little bit of a complaint. I also, you know, I compared this with It Follows earlier, and they both do something in the end which I don't care for, which is when they try to abstract and make it literal. So, like, in It Follows, it's they trap the thing in the pool and they start shooting it, right? And up that moment, you have this ambiguous, you know, amorphous, ill-defined, supernatural thing that, like, has one foot in and one foot out of the real world. And when you are able to trap it and start shooting it, it just feels too literal. And the same thing happens here. You've got you're drifting in and out of dreams, but then this movie gets resolved with locking a monster in a, a physical location, right? And I won't say anything else about the ending, but it, it's it's taking something that's tactical and, and making it too real. And so I'm I'm dissatisfied with the way that the, or unsatisfied with the way that the movie resolves. Plenty of other silly horror movies end the same way. Have that complaint. It's because for much of this movie's runtime, I think it's hitting higher artistic heights than most horror movies do, especially budget horror. Uh, I'm going to give this three and a half. Wow. 
three and a half stars. Yeah, I really think you should go see it. All right, so it for Beyond Dreams Door and for this year's uh, spooky season. Um, I think that we should try some, uh, like, get off of the straight horror path for a film. Yeah. I think we should creep. Creep? Okay. Yeah. So this is this is a movie by Tim Ritter. He's uh, one of the masters of shot on video um, films. So it's, it's very low budget again. Uh, although not everyone is an amateur in it. There's there's actors who are uh, in who had long careers um, from the mid '90s, but it feels older. Uh, it horror elements and crime elements. But it's really a um, a full-on exploitation film in the best possible way. In some ways, it reminds me of like a John Waters movie, but it's meaner. It lacks his like light-hearted sense of fun. All right, so so yeah, next week we will do Tim Ritter's Creep. Don't watch the like new creep with um what's his name from uh with mark Duplass in it don't watch that one um and ritter one i there are various versions of this movie i know there's an r-rated version um the one that leland and i are watching is the unrated version i've also heard there's a version with hardcore porn inserts i, I do not have that version uh I would be curious to see it, but I, I have not. So, all right. Um, until next week, uh, do you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support. And, uh, of course, happy late Halloween. Yeah. Hap- hey, the, make the Halloween light, the, the jack-o'-lantern flame burn bright around. Right? We, we celebrate Halloween all year long. And uh, if you would like to celebrate with us, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares uh, and interact with us there. That's where I post everything that we do. And please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we would appreciate that. And we will see you next week with Tim Ritter's Creep. Until then, have a good one. Goodbye.